you remember a few years ago uh, when uh, they just started with um, Ameritrade and E-Trade and how you could get on the online and start uh, selling stocks yourself? Well, some of my friends were doing pretty well, so I thought, hey, why not? You know, I need to invest. I never invested anything, you know, so I thought, you know, stock market. And I was told all these things about how, you know, how much money everyone was making off it. So, you know, I had 500 bucks and I threw it in, a, in one of those Ameritrade accounts and just thought, oh, I'm going to start selling stocks myself. I don't need a broker. I've got friends, okay? And friends were giving me tips and saying, hey, try this, try this, you know? So I was like, okay, I'll buy, you know, a few uh, whatever shares of this. And I was just learning all about the stock market. And I was doing really well. I mean, the first week, I made 100 bucks, okay? So I went from 500 bucks to 600 bucks. I'm thinking, this is easy. Why haven't I been doing this my whole life? You know, and I tell my wife, I go, honey, I'll double that 500 every few months. And uh, this is going to be great. It'll be our retirement and everything. We'll pay off the house. All this stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, and I was doing well. So I go, give me a few hundred bucks more. You know, let's throw more in. You know, because this is going well. And and all my friends, whoever, you know, was, was trading stocks, they were so sure of their tips. They would say, I am sure this company is going to go huge. They're going big and no one knows about it. It's like, yeah. You know, and so I jump on there thinking, okay, this is it. And, and some of you are in this room that gave me those tips. And uh, <laughs> they, uh, they didn't go so well, okay? They started to go down, but, you know, I was told, hey, no. In the stock market, it's not like gambling where you can lose it all. I mean, you're always going to have something in there. So just keep it in there because with the stock market, you can't lose everything. <laughs> Want to bet? <laughs> okay. And I lost everything. And I'm thinking, what in the world? I mean, the, the companies went bankrupt and everything else. I'm thinking, what was that all about? And it was so frustrating. It was so annoying. Because it's not like I'm just made of money and I could just throw this money away. It was, it was killing me. It was killing me because these people were so sure of what they were saying. And I just believed them because they were my friends. Now... I make that point to say, you know, a lot of times we will we'll be wrong on things, and when we are wrong, it can really hurt us, okay? And now, you and I, we make decisions in life, and, and we sometimes make the wrong choices, and there are consequences to those choices. Um, but there's one thing on earth that we can't afford to be wrong with, Okay? And that has to do with what we put our faith in. And what we believe happens after we die. We're not talking about a few hundred dollars here. We're talking about eternity. That if you are wrong on that issue, I mean, what if we are wrong about this being the way to heaven and Jesus Christ being the way to heaven? What if there's another way and it was a different way? We're in some serious trouble. And there's some of you in this room who don't believe in God. You don't believe in the Bible. And you say, well, I don't believe Jesus is the way. And I say, what if you're wrong? That's some serious trouble. Okay, so this is something that we have to be sure about. And yet, while I say that and say we have to be sure about it, those of you in this room that would say, yes, I am sure of what I believe. I'm sure about Jesus Christ. Haven't there been times in your life where you doubted that, though? I mean, even after becoming a Christian, haven't there been periods of time when you doubted what you believed and that thought into your mind, what if I'm wrong? I'm going to ask you to be honest right now, and I'm going to have a show of hands. How many of you would say, after becoming a Christian, there was a time in your life, or maybe even this week, or it doesn't have to be a long period of time, but it went into your head, 
maybe I am wrong about this, and you had a period of doubt. How many of you have gone through that? Okay, look around. Just almost everyone in the room. Okay, I, I do that because for this reason. I've had so many people approach me and say, you know, I had doubts this week as to my faith, whether this was real or not. Just suddenly this thought came into my mind, and I started questioning, is Jesus really the Son of God? Am I really going to heaven? Is this, is this stuff all true? And they go, I just feel horrible, because I don't think other Christians really have those thoughts or those doubts. Well, did you see those hands that went up? We, we, we get those doubts. People have asked me, do you ever doubt? And I say, not very often, but yeah, I do. I have periods in my life when I, I go, am I sure this is real? And, and sometimes we can beat ourselves up and say, what is that all about? I'm not a good Christian. How come I, I dealt with doubt today or dealt with doubt, doubt last week or I wasn't sure of what I believed? I'm going to turn you to a passage this week. You know, as we continue in this, this, this study of Luke, there's a really interesting passage. And it has to do with John the Baptist. In John chapter 11, because, okay, you remember who John the Baptist is, right? John the Baptist is the one that announced the coming of the Messiah. He was the forerunner. He was the one that was, you know, prophesied about in the Old Testament. Yet you come to Luke chapter 7, and here's this spiritual giant of whom Jesus says, hey, there's no one greater that's been born of woman than John the Baptist. And yet, in Luke 7, it appears as though John goes through this period of discouragement and even doubt over his faith. In Luke chapter 7, verse 18, look at the story. It, it seems like John the Baptist himself was once again just making sure of what he believed. Because the price is too high. You better be sure of what you believe. Luke chapter 7, verse 18, it says, John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, his disciples told him about all these things. Okay, what is all these things? What's he referring to? What's that? Yeah, the miracles. The miracles. You remember we studied that last week about him raising that the widow's son from, from the dead. You know, before that is a passage on the, um, in Capernaum, the, the centurion's uh, servant that was dying, and Jesus raised him. And so miracles are going on, and John's disciples are telling John about these things that are happening. And then it says, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Wait, why is John the Baptist asking Jesus, Are you the one to come? Are you really the Messiah, or should we be expecting someone else? Some say, Well, uh, maybe he was doing it for the sake of his disciples. He wanted his disciples to go ask and find out. But that, that can't be, because John asked the question, and Jesus responds to the disciples and gives a, the answer back to John. It was for John the Baptist. Now, now let, me, let me just explain in context, and this will help you understand why this might be going on. John the Baptist, where is he right now? I mean, not right now, but in that passage. Okay, in heaven. Uh, John the Baptist, when he, why, why didn't he go and ask Jesus himself? Why did he have to send messengers? Yeah, he's in jail right now. He's in jail in this passage. Remember why John the Baptist is in prison? He's in prison because he confronted King Herod on his sin. King Herod actually took his brother's wife for himself. 
And so John the Baptist, being a man of God, confronts King Herod and says, this is wrong. You can't just take your, 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 your brother's wife for yourself. And, and Herod, rather than repenting and being, you know, struck by his own sin, he puts John in jail. So John's in jail now. And, and at this period, John's been there for about a year. So what's going on with John here in prison? I believe this is just a time of discouragement. I mean, John the Baptist is hearing about these miracles, and yet he's in prison, and he's probably wondering, wait a second, I announced his coming, he's out there healing the blind, the sick, he's even raising people from the dead, why isn't he getting me out of prison? Why isn't he taking me out of this jail? If he's the Messiah. And I really believe this is just a time where he's, uh, he's losing heart. He's wondering, God, why would I be in this circumstance? If you're the Messiah and you're out freeing everyone else, taking care of them, why am I still in this jail cell? You, you ever feel like that? You ever, uh, you ever lose heart? I mean, you know something to be true. You know what you believe, but every once in a while you get in one of those predicaments where you're just in this discouraging situation and it makes you just... It just starts playing games with your mind. You start wondering, is this all real? Because if it's real, why am I struggling like this? Why am I going through this, this situation in my life? I mean, you've got to remember who here is questioning. This is John the Baptist. Remember John, he, he's the one that said, hey, Christ is coming. And then when Christ came, he's, he's talking about, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Remember, John's the one that baptized him. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to baptize me. And John goes, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. Remember that? And then after he baptizes Jesus, heaven opens up. John's right there and sees the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And then he hears that voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. John knew who Jesus was. So why now is he asking? He's going through this period of discouragement. It, it's, it's, like, it's, it's human nature. I mean, when, when, you read, when you read the Old Testament, don't you get frustrated with Israel sometimes? You go, what are you guys thinking? God just led you out of Egypt with all the plagues, and you saw how those plagues just happened to land on Egypt and all of their people, and then the firstborn with a Passover, and you knew that was God. And then God split the Red Sea open for you, and you walked right through it, and you were so sure of Him. And then you're in the desert starving, and He has bread appear on the ground from nowhere. You knew who that God was, and then yet a little while later, you read a few pages later, and they're all going, ah, I don't know if that God's for real. Why? They're discouraged. They're in the desert. And then they build this golden calf and say, hey, let's worship this cow instead. It's ridiculous. But that's what we do. We have these times where we know what we believe and we're sure of it. But then we come to these points in our lives. And a lot of times it's when our relationship with God isn't close. And we start to question. We start to doubt. What is this all about? Well, uh, you read it on in verse 20. It says, When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. 
Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So the disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, John asked us to ask you, are you really the one who has come or should we wait for someone else? And Jesus sends them back with this reply. He goes, just go and tell John what you see here. You're seeing people who are blind. And suddenly I touch them and they can see. You see people that are deaf, I touch them, they can hear. You see people, you see their skin, they're just filled with leprosy. I say the word and suddenly they're cleansed. You're seeing dead bodies raised up and talking. Just give them that answer. Who else could I be? Jesus points to his power. He says, remind John of what I'm doing. Now, that's an interesting answer, and it seems to work for John, but, but I say it's interesting because look at verse 18 again. What does it say in verse 18? John's disciples told him about all these things. Wait, didn't John's disciples already tell John about all the miracles? Then why does Jesus send him back to tell him about the miracles again? He's telling him something he already knows. Have you ever needed that? Haven't there been times in your life when someone comes up and they don't tell you anything you don't know? They just remind you of what you do know. I said, you know this. Come on, does this really make sense? You know that he's the forerunner. You, you know that you're the forerunner. You know that he's the Messiah. You know that he's God. Why else would be, people be raising from the dead? And he points back to the miracles again. You know, um, when, I, when I first became a Christian um, in high school, my youth pastor, he asked me to keep a journal he says, I want you to get like a notebook. And he gave me this notebook and this journal. And he says, you can write down some of the things you're learning about God and stuff in here. He goes, but here's what I really want you to do. He goes, I want you to start writing down your prayer requests. Start writing down the things you're asking of God, specific things. And then write the date next to the day in which you prayed them. Next to the, the, plot, the place where you, 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 you whatever. Okay, so uh, you know what I'm saying. You know, put the date next to the prayer request. He goes, because what I want you to do is once those prayers are answered, I want you to write them on the other side and write the date on which they were answered. He said, because there will be times in your life when you'll get discouraged and there will be times when you will doubt. And there's nothing like opening up those prayer requests and going, oh, yeah, I remember when God did that. And that, and that, and that. And how he answered every prayer, miraculous, supernaturally. And just remind yourself of what you believe and why you believe it. Because that's what we do as human beings. We, we, we will know something and we're convicted about something. We're so sure about it, but then we forget. And that's why when you read the Bible, God does that throughout history. Like whenever something would happen with Israel, you notice how every once in a while they'll just build an altar there at the very spot where the miracle happened. Why? Because every time they would pass by it, they would look at the altar and go, oh yeah, remember when God did that? You know, and God instructs them, put those 12 stones there, make a pile of these 12 rocks. So every time you pass by those 12 rocks, you, oh yeah, that's what, it, that's what that reminds me of. And you set these altars up in these different places. Why? To remind you. Why do you think God had them um, celebrate the feasts every year? So they wouldn't forget. I mean, why did they celebrate Passover every year? Because God wanted them to remember back to his power when he, he got them out of the land of Egypt. 
And that destroying angel passed over those homes that had the, the blood of the lamb over them. He wanted them to remember those. Why do you think we take communion today? And why it's commanded us to devote ourselves to taking the Lord's Supper. Because we forget. You may come in this room, you know, discouraged and go, gosh, does God even love me? And then you pick up the bread. And you go, oh, this reminds me of His Son and His body that was broken for me on the cross. Of course He loves me. You pick up the cup. And you look at it. And it's supposed to remind you of the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you. And you go, oh, yeah. If God loved me so much to send His Son to die for me, of course He still loves me. It's so that we remember, remind ourselves of what we already know. And uh, isn't it almost um, annoying sometimes that even after being a Christian for so long, we can still have doubts in our minds? And uh, the thing I found is it's usually when our prayer lives are lacking. Because when I'm praying consistently and, you know, hardcore and asking for things, man, I'm seeing the answers left and right. It's just when I kind of, you know, kick back in my prayer life that I forget. And I don't see all that God's doing in my life. So, so Jesus sends his disciples back, sends John's disciples back and says, tell them what you see. Remind them of the truth of what I'm doing. And then he says the words in verse 23. He adds one thing. He says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. He says, oh yeah, and tell John, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. He's saying, John, blessed are you. Blessings are going to come to you if you don't fall away from me. Why is Jesus saying that? What happens to John the Baptist shortly after he gets this message? Yeah, he's beheaded. And Jesus is saying to John, you hold on. And blessed are you. If you don't fall away on account of me, it's going to get tough. But you hold on. And it's that same message that God gives to some of us in this room. Maybe you're about to head into a difficult week this week that you don't even know about. And God's message to you is, blessed are you if you don't fall away from Him. You keep your faith strong. Well, Jesus tells His messengers that, tells John's messengers that. Then in verse 24, it says, After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Okay, so you got the picture here? Jesus sends the disciples of John back and they're going to go give him the message. But then there's still a crowd that's gathered around Jesus. So Jesus takes this opportunity to talk about John the Baptist. Okay, you know, his, his messengers are gone, and now he just wants to talk to the crowd about John the Baptist. Because a lot of people, they, they all knew John the Baptist. They all, all heard his teaching, and uh, they had gone out in the desert to see John the Baptist. Remember, John was the guy that was living out in the desert, and he was in these, you know, just these horrible old clothes, and, you know, and just eating off of the land, and he was just this, this uh, true blue prophet. And so Jesus asked the question, he goes, when you guys went out to see John the Baptist, what did, what did you go out in the desert to see? 
Were you looking for a reed that was being blown around by the wind? And what he meant by that was, he says, were you looking for a guy that was just going to blow back and forth just based upon popular opinion? He says, no, that's not what you're looking for. When you go out in the desert to, to look for John the Baptist, what were you looking for? He goes, were you looking for a man dressed in fine clothes? He goes, what did you go out there to see? Did you, were you looking for a, you know, this little pretty boy in his beautiful suit out there in the desert, you know, self-indulgent? He goes, no. What did you go out there to see? You went out there because you heard there was a prophet, a real prophet, a prophet that isn't swayed by popular opinion. He does what he knows is right. You're looking for a prophet, not a, a prophet that was self-indulgent and, and using all the money for himself, but a guy that was going to teach the word of God regardless of what he got. While Jesus was saying that to brag about John the Baptist, he was also, this is a direct slam on the religious leaders of that day who were standing in his midst. You see, because the Pharisees of that day, they were these well-dressed preachers, you know, that, were, that, had, that had everything going for them financially. They were saying the things that would make them popular. And so Jesus is saying, no, you didn't go out to see one of these guys. You can imagine how offensive that would have been to the Pharisees standing there. You didn't go out to stay. You went out to see the real thing. And that's what John the Baptist was. And he makes that comment about he's not only a prophet, he's the greatest of them. He says, there's, uh, you know, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. I, I don't, it could possibly be referring to John's character, but probably greater than that, he's referring to the position that John held as the forerunner to the Messiah. Remember, all these prophets of old in the Old Testament were talking about this Messiah to come, but John the Baptist was the one that got the privilege to actually see him and announce his coming. And it was a great, great position. And yet Jesus says about that, as great as that is, he says, greater, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He says, the ones that are going to believe in me in this new kingdom of God, this new dispensation, this new covenant, they're, they're in a better position than John the Baptist is. You see, John the Baptist was in this weird transition period in history, in God's economy. You've got the old covenant that promises the coming of this Messiah, but then you've got John the Baptist, who was a forerunner right there, and he was going to come and announce the, the, the Messiah that was going to come, and then would come us, the church, the New Testament, where we, got, we have privileges that Old Testament saints did not get. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you know, that the apostles waited for in Acts chapter 2, that was something that was new. Not that the Holy Spirit wasn't around and not that he didn't indwell, but there was a new, it was, it was different though now. And, and, and that's why Jesus prays, you know, or when he talks to his disciples, he says, look, until now you haven't asked for anything in my name. See, up until this point, but now things are going to be different. See, the Old Testament saints, they didn't understand, they didn't, they didn't get the privilege of this intimacy with God that we have. Remember, they had to go through priests to the Holy of Holies. But after Jesus died on the cross, that, that veil was torn, and we have direct access to God. That was something that was unknown back then. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't pray to God the same way that we do with that intimacy and that type of relationship. They didn't have that free access, and that's why it says that we don't need a priest anymore. There's one mediator between God and man. That's, that's Jesus Christ. And, and so that's what Jesus means when he says, look, those who are least in the kingdom of God are, are greater than, than John the Baptist. But, but look, at this, look at the quote in uh, verse 27. 
When he's talking about John, he says, This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. He's quoting from the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. He's quoting from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And remember, after the book of Malachi, after, there's that 400 years of silence. Okay, There's this prophecy that says, before the Messiah is going to come, will come this forerunner. Okay, and Malachi 3 predicts that. And then you have in Luke, you know, Luke, when, when uh, John the Baptist's father was in the temple, Zechariah, he gets the message, hey, your son, your wife's going to bear a child, and he's going to be that forerunner that was promised 400 years ago in the book of Malachi. And that's what this is referring to. Now, the, the Bible says that the one that was going to come before Jesus was going to come in the power and spirit of whom? Elijah. Okay, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, says that because Elijah, Elijah didn't die. Remember that in the Old Testament? Elijah is one of those, those few men who never died. Do you remember how Elijah left the earth? Yeah, in a chariot. You guys are all mumbling, just in case you're wrong, huh? Okay, I do that too, a chariot. Okay, and he's, he's taken away in that chariot, and, and it says that before the Messiah comes, will come Elijah. And we don't have time to get into all the discrepancies about that, but uh, but it does say in Luke when when uh, Zechariah is, is you know the angel's talking to him, he is told that his son is going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah. So there's something unique about John the Baptist, even in his birth, that he came with the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now you guys know some of you guys know stories about Elijah from the Old Testament. Uh, but I want to turn you to one, because I think it is very interesting, considering the, what's going on here. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, Elijah was a very powerful prophet. You remember, he's the one that raised the widow's son. He, he's done some, some amazing things. And, and I, I turn you to 1 Kings 19, because you remember what happened in 1 Kings 18? 1 Kings 18 is that story on Mount Carmel with the, with the prophets of Baal. When, uh, if you, let me just refresh your memory. That, that's when there were 450 prophets of Baal, this, this false god. And then there was one man, Elijah. And Elijah's telling these prophets of Baal, there's no such thing as Baal. He's not really a god. There's only one true god. And they're like, you want to bet? Yeah, I'll bet. So they have this contest... And, and, and Elijah says there on Mount Carmel, okay, this is what we'll do. Let's build altars, okay? You, you build an altar to your God, I'll build an altar to my God. And, and we'll put a sacrifice on it. Let's each put a bull on ours. You know, let's, let's just put a sacrifice up there. And this is what I want you to do. Okay, there's 450 of you. Why don't you pray to your God and ask Him to set your altar on fire? I mean, that should be something He'd be willing to do for 450 of you. So all these prophets start praying to God, you know, or their God. Say, come on, light it on fire, light it on fire. And Elijah the whole time is just sitting there mocking them. Going, louder. Maybe, maybe he doesn't hear you. You know, just making fun of them. And so it says that these people get more intense. They start dancing around, chanting, you know, and they're cutting their bodies open. And they're bleeding and saying, come on, light it on fire, Baal, light it on fire. And Elijah's just sitting there laughing. And then... Okay, fine, it's your turn, Elijah. And Elijah looks at his altar and he says, this is too easy. Why don't you guys go up there and douse it with water? Why don't you pour buckets of water on mine before God lights it on fire? So they're like, all right. And they go up there and they pour fire, you know, water on this thing. And then Elijah prays and says, God, light it on fire. 
And the whole thing just goes up in flames as everyone's watching. And the 450 prophets of Baal look at Elijah and go, you won. Now, you got to know, though, that they had a bet going on that. And the bet was this. They had made a deal before. Elijah said, if I win, I get to kill you. It's a friendly bet. And, uh, and if you win, you can kill me. And Elijah wins, and he kills 450 prophets of Baal in chapter 18. And that's how chapter 18 ends, with this incredible victory of Elijah killing these prophets and standing up for the glory of God. But then read chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. What is that all about? Here is Elijah who is so firm in his God saying, watch what my God can do. And then he goes and he kills 450 prophets of Baal. And then shortly after, a lady says, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and he runs scared. And he's hiding, you know, in the, under this tree going, God, just kill me. I can't believe you put me through this. A woman's after me. <laughs> and I love you. You start reading and I love verse 9. Look, look at verse 9. And it talks, he says, uh, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I love that phrase. I mean, you make sure Elijah hiding in this cave now. Oh, she's going to be after me. She's going to be after me. What do I do? And God's voice comes into that cave and says, What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Man of God, what are you doing here? He says it again a few verses later. What are you doing here? You're Elijah. You're the one that just slayed all those prophets. Why now are you sitting here discouraged? Because this woman threatened to kill you? And that's what you're fearing. And I say that because, look, remember, John the Baptist came in that power and spirit of Elijah. And I believe this is just another moment like Elijah had. It was that moment of weakness. It was that moment where he just got discouraged. This strong, powerful man. Has that ever happened to you? Where, where this is what's annoying in life is when you feel so strong and so confident and then something happens and suddenly you're ready to give up. Man, I've seen that happen in my own life where there'll be times I'll come up here, I'll give a message, go, come on, let's go change the world, you know. And then that week, some little old lady will spread some rumor about me and I go, oh man, I want to quit. You know? <laughs> And it's like, what is that all about? Here you were, so strong, so certain of your calling and life, and you're going to let her discourage you? And yet that's what happens in our lives, and I believe that's what's going on here with John the Baptist. That's why, you know, Jesus, all he had to say was, look, 
Go back and tell John. Remind him what's going on here. Dead people are being raised. People with leprosy are being healed. What else could this be? He knows what the truth is. And John the Baptist shortly dies, uh, shortly thereafter dies. But um, let's, let's just read the end of the story. Verse, verse 29. It says, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Now, how many of you read that passage and totally understand what he's saying? Okay, it's confusing, huh? You're going, what is that all about? Let me explain it. Okay. Here, uh, he says, there's people who accept the message. There's those who reject the message. And then he says this. He says, you know, he goes, what should I compare the people of this generation to? He goes, what are the people right now like? Because there are plenty of people who rejected this teaching. He says, you know what you guys are like? You're like little kids that are in the marketplace. And one's playing his flute and going, you know, and say, come on, dance. It's a happy song, happy song. And the, the kid over there is just going... I'm not dancing. I don't, I don't like to dance. So he goes, okay, okay. We'll sing a dirge. We'll sing like a, a sad song. And uh, we'll pretend it's like a funeral. And maybe you'll cry, okay? Dun, 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 Come on, cry. Pretend it's a funeral. The guy goes, I'm not going to cry. That's stupid. You know, it's, it's the idea of, a, of, of kids just playing and going, come on, come on, do this. You know, come on, maybe you'll, maybe you'll, do, maybe you'll respond. If I play something happy, you'll dance. Or maybe if we do something sad, you'll cry. And basically, the kids are just going... We don't want to play with you. We're not interested. I don't care if you sing a happy song, care if you sing a sad song. I'm not playing. I'm not interested. And the point was this. Jesus was saying, look, there are some of you here who just aren't interested in the truth. No matter what package it comes from. Because John the Baptist came. John the Baptist comes and you, you dismiss him and say, ah, that can't be the truth because he doesn't drink. He doesn't eat. He's this hardcore prophet out in the desert. So we reject him. He says, but then the Son of Man, then Jesus comes and he eats, he drinks, and he hangs out with the, you know, the, the sinners, the prostitutes. And you say, well, that can't be true because he eats and drinks. And he hangs out with people who do. And he goes, do you understand? He goes, it doesn't matter what package it comes from. You're just rejecting truth. Your excuses don't make any, excuse, don't make any sense. You reject John, you say, because he doesn't eat and drink. You reject Jesus because he does eat and drink. Because you're like those kids in the marketplace that are, you know, saying, hey, how about if I play a happy song? How about if I play a sad song? You're just not interested. You're saying, you're not interested in truth. You can't handle the truth. He says, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want anything to do with it. He says, but, but wisdom is proved right by her children. He's saying, but those who really want wisdom, they're going to find it. Whatever package it comes in. See, when I understood this passage, I just thought, you know, isn't this exactly our generation today? People don't care. 
It's not that there are a bunch of people in the room or out there in the world that have researched the Bible and said, I've studied that thing and I know it to be false. It's more that people just don't really care. We've got other things to do. Man, I got my house, I got my toys, I got this, I got that, I'm thinking about retirement. They just don't care about spiritual things. If you look at all the statistics today, all the research that's been done shows that the average American could, could, could care less what he believes. He hasn't really thought through his belief system. He's not thinking about eternal things. There are people who reject the Bible without ever having read it, without ever studied it. Why? Because they don't really care about truth. You know people like that? I, uh, I was so frustrated this week. Um, you know, I was talking to a guy, that totally cool guy, nice guy, everything else. He's dying of cancer, though. He's dying of cancer. I was talking to him a few days ago. And I'm laying out the scriptures and explaining to him. And I said, you know, what do you believe? He goes, I, I don't know. No, I, I don't think I believe that. I just was so casual about it. And, and so I said, do you understand? You're about to die any day. And does it concern you at all what's coming afterwards? No. I thought, wait, you don't even think about that? You don't, you're, not, you're not concerned. There's not even the tiniest bit of fear. You don't even think about what's going to happen after. He goes, you know, my whole life, over 70 years now, I've never thought about it, and I, I still don't. I said, but, but don't you understand, what if you're wrong? What if, what if there's that possibility that I am right about the Bible? Which I sure, I'm sure I am. What if I am right? Then according to this book, that means that at the end of your life, you have to stand before God. What if you're wrong? What if there really is a God and you have to stand before Him, that this whole thing didn't just show up from nowhere? And that there is a God and you have to stand before Him and answer for your sins. The Bible says, is you're guilty. You've broken the commands. And that God is going to punish you. But that God loved you so much, He sent His own Son and had His Son punished in your stead. And if you believe in that, then you won't be punished at the end of your life. But don't you understand that if you are wrong, if I am right, that means if you die, you will spend eternity in hell. Yeah, I know. And it was the saddest thing because I'm... I'm my mind goes, I don't get that. How can you not care about eternity? How can you be so focused on the things of the earth that you don't even think? Man, all of us are dying. Any one of us, this could be the last day on the earth. And if there's one thing you've got to be sure of is where you're going afterwards. And, and, and won't you even take the time to research? See, it's not that people have researched and have disproven the Bible. It's just that people don't really care. Because those who have cared, I mean, there are many people who try to prove this, this Bible wrong. And they were aggressive. They wanted truth. They wanted wisdom. So they pursued it. And they even tried to disprove this Bible. And there are many books that are written by those people who eventually became Christians because of their research. But the truth is, is people do not believe in God because they don't want to believe in God. They don't care about God. And that was his point here. Look. It doesn't matter if John the Baptist comes to you. It doesn't matter if I come to you. It doesn't matter who comes to you. You don't want wisdom. You don't want truth. You don't want to play our game. And um, it's a sad thing. But I, 
I hope that uh, those of you in this room that would look at us as being foolish for following this book, ask yourself, have you ever really studied it? Have you really taken the time to look at it historically, archaeologically, prophetically? Can you show me where it's wrong? Or do you just dismiss it because he just, a friend told you, he gave you a hot tip. The Bible's not true. My parents told me. The people on TV make fun of it. Or have you yourself done that research? Because we will all stand before God. It's appointed for a man to die once and then comes judgment. And this is not something you can be wrong about. You can't afford it. John the Baptist researched. He wanted to know, is this for real? And when he found the answer, he says, okay, cut my head off. I know this is real. I will die for this. And that's what true faith is. You become a person that says, I'm so sure this is real. I'll die for it. You become a person like John the Baptist. You become a person like these three girls that we're going to show you a video of right now. My name is Nicole Thiessen. Um, I'm 22 um, from Simi Valley. Lived here pretty much my whole life. Um, and I, I became a Christian when I was a really little girl, like about, about seven, um, and have, have uh, lived my life trying to serve the Lord. Um, and gosh, just, just love, gosh, I love life in general. And I've uh, got an opportunity to go this summer to Romania with Axis. I, I just prayed that um, the Lord would speak to me and tell me if that's where he wanted me to be and I would listen and I would go um, but I didn't want to be caught up in emotion and I didn't want to be um, I just wanted to make sure that it was right for me to be there and, and that's where the Lord could use me the most um, and so in, in the whole process of praying for that I <clears throat> told you what the told you what the Lord did he put that on my heart and and in my heart, and and now I don't even feel like I fit here in Simi Valley and comfortable little bubble um, where everything is basically given to me. That um, I love it and I'm grateful for it, but I don't want it anymore. Um, I'm gonna go next week and uh, and live with orphans and show them the Lord. And and I want each of those kids to be in heaven with me. Um, and I know God will use me. And and. I, I want to be cold with those kids and I want to be hungry with those kids and I want to be, I want to hurt with them and I want to um, feel what they feel because, because I've never had more purpose in my whole life and I've never, I've never, nothing's ever made more sense to me. Nothing's ever been more sure like it is just it is the best thing and so I I feel like I'm at a place where I'm looking at all the things that I have and I'm gonna miss so many people in relationships and and but I'm gaining so much I just can't wait to see their little faces again and hug them and touch them and and I'm gonna miss things from here but but I have so much I have so much I can give to them and it would only be selfish for me to stay so I gotta go my name is Carrie Penner and I'm 20 years old. Um, I've grown up in Simi Valley my whole life and uh, started attending Cornerstone um, two years ago. 
and um, accepted Christ in December of 2000 um, at Axis. And um, I went to Romania this summer, and um, God did amazing things in my life there. Um, just seeing the needs of real people every day, um, the things that we don't even think about, um, the things that they experience daily um, broke my heart. And uh, I just want to go back to show these kids that Christ is with them too, even if they don't know him yet. And um, just that they can have hope in Christ and knowing that he's going to take care of them. And um, there were so many kids that just blessed me. I mean, we thought we were going to go there to bless them. and they blessed us in return. And, but I definitely have to go back because God commands it. So on Tuesday, Sarah, Nicole, and I, um, we're leaving. Um, we're flying to Romania, and um, I know God's going to take care of me. And uh, I just hope that, you know, I'm able to trust in Him every day. Hi, I'm Sarah, and uh, I live in Fillmore, California. I'm 21 years old, and um, yeah, when I went to Romania, I never expected it to change my life the way that it did. Um, if you asked me a year ago, um, you're going to be a missionary in Romania, I would have <laughs> just laughed at you and been like, what, what's that, you know? Good, good for other people to go, but it wasn't for me. Um, I always thought my life was going to be, you know, go to school, get a career, get married, and, you know, have the normal American life. But... Uh, yeah, God changed that um, when I went. Uh, just um, being there and and seeing the kids and, and knowing how they live, um, even a little bit, I feel like I have no idea what they go through every day. Um, but uh, just the little that I know is enough to, to get me back there. So, um, yeah, I'm going back <laughs> soon, <laughs> thank God. But... Uh, yeah, it wasn't a matter of if I could go or, or a choice. Um, there was no choice in the matter. I had to go. I have to go. Um, those kids have my heart, you know. I've never, I never thought that, that people that I don't know, that I've only known for a little while, could touch me so much, and they have. And, um, it's hard. Um, to know that these kids grew up without parents and without love um, because that's what I've known my whole life. and uh, So I have to go back and give that to them. Like I had so much love to give and I was able to pour that out on these kids. And um, when it came back, I felt like, like I was lost, like I didn't like I didn't belong here and that I felt like I abandoned them and that I left my heart there. So that's why I'm <laughs> that's why I have to leave. Tuesday morning, um, those three girls will head back to Romania. Um, as long as the Lord calls them there. and um, If this is 
if this is fake, if Jesus really isn't the Son of God, then those three girls are three of the stupidest girls you've ever seen. Seriously, they're throwing their lives away. That is absolutely foolish. As Paul says, if, if, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then just eat, drink, have, have fun. Because what's the point? But if this book is true, and there really is a Son of God who died for their sins, and they go out spreading His love, then these are three of the wisest girls you've ever seen. You know, as we, um, as we conclude the service, the three gals will be out in the, the lobby if you guys want to just offer them a word of encouragement. But it's a pretty awesome time in the life of our church as we send more people out to do what we all need to be doing, um, loving those around us, loving those who are in need. Now, some of you may look at that and go, man, I don't understand that commitment. I don't get how someone could, quote-unquote, throw their life away. Um, and maybe you have doubts about Scripture. You have doubts about what you believe, and you don't know about eternity. I just want you to know, you guys are always welcome to call the church. In fact, after service, we're going to have some of the pastors up front here. If you have any questions about what we believe, if you have evidence you think you found that disproves the Bible, show it to us. Um, but if you have any questions or whatsoever about your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not sure if you were to die today whether or not you'd go to heaven. And you want to be sure that I encourage you to come up and talk to one of us. Because we're not talking about something you can afford to be wrong about. And so let's research together. Let's go through this together. Because I know who I, I believe in. I'm confident of who I believe in. And I know that if I were to get in a car accident and die today, that I would be in the presence of God. And He has shown me throughout my life, there's no doubt, He's there. And I hope you can leave with that same confidence. If not, feel free to talk with us, pray with us. Let me pray for us as we leave. Father, I thank You for Your Word and the comfort we receive from it. God, may we go out here and live the life we're supposed to live. May we be like John the Baptist, who will sacrifice anything for you because we are so sure of your existence and so sure of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.